When Patrick Nicholas was a teenager, he recalls the time when a group came to his marae in Te Puna. Now, they wanted to know about the local history of that area. He was given that task. Local history of Tauranga has been his kai, or his sustenance, for the best part of three decades. He is a self-confessed hoarder and has in his possession pictures, books, film, tape recordings of interviews with tangata whenua, many who have now passed on. Now, leading up to the Battle of Gate Park commemorations, I sat down with Patrick to talk about the history, the site of the battle, and the strategy taken up by Māori leaders to defeat colonial troops. We'll also hear segments from the 1974 Spectrum programme, All the Queen's Men. The 20 years of peace and prosperity which nourished the tribes of Tauranga has been shattered. In January 1864, Governor Gray sent a punitive expedition to Tauranga to suppress rebellion in the Bay of Plenty. Several settlers and missionaries there advised against the move, pleading that the majority of natives there were untainted by the King movement and were not supporters of the rebel Waikato tribes. By April, the Waikato had fallen after Ewi Maniopoto's heroic stand at Orokau had ended in defeat. This released the Imperial Commander-in-Chief, General Cameron, to take over all command of the Tauranga force, consisting of the 68th and 43rd Light Infantry and Naval Brigades. But while the British poured in men and big guns, the natives had not been idle. They decided to make their stand at Wauku, some ten miles inland from the Imperial forces. Having rebuilt and fortified an old power there, the rebels prepared eight miles of road leading to it so as to lessen the fatigue of the Queen's soldiers. The chief, Rawiri Puhirake, then dispatched a formal message notifying the Imperial commander and accepting the ordeal of combat. One of the rebel warriors, Hori Natai, recalled these events. We drew up a challenge in the form of a letter to the British general inviting him to meet us and fight it out. This letter was sent by a herald to the Pākehā camp at Te Papa, and we waited a reply. All was excitement. The clansmen were busy preparing for the fray, making cartridges, sharpening tomahawks, cleaning guns, getting food supplies and so forth. Martial councils were held and the haka kaumate took place daily to put our young men in form and to arouse their warlike spirits. There are two reasons for the war. Um, there are people that wanted land and there are people that Governor Gray wanted to uh, colonise the Māori people. He thought that uh, he had a grand scheme confiscating all the land, inviting European settlers here to um, own the land and for them to employ the Māoris as uh, labourers, servants. So his plan was to take them off the land and break, do away with the uh, old customs where the Kingitanga was about keeping the old customs and keeping Māori authority over Māori areas. So uh, when the when Gray thought he had enough uh, uh, troops to win the war, he invaded Waikato. And also about that time, they um, crystallised the plan of confiscating all the land in Tauranga. Uh, prior to the troops even coming here, the um, colonial treasurer, 
Rita Wood had already left for England, selling off the Tauranga lands before the battle even began. Um, the colonial treasure went to England to um, get settlers out here and the affairs, their wages, the building of roads was all going to be paid out of confiscated land sales. So in Tauranga at the time, Māori were, there were different divisions. Some thought, oh, this Queen of Victoria might be okay. Um, others supported the Kingitanga. But there's a certain group that they weren't too much in favour of either. They were just uh, pro-Tauranga. And these are all the uh, religious ones, the Christians. That's uh, Henare Taratoa, Rawiri Puhirake, uh, Penetaka, uh, Kirati. And they were the leaders in the battles of uh, Gaipa. The natives proposed to take up a position nearer Te Papa. They selected Pukehinehine Ridge, a neck of land 300 yards wide, flanked by swamps and only three miles inland from the Pakeha camp. The missionaries had built a high bank and a deep ditch across the ridge to mark the extent of their land. Entry was by a gate, hence the name Gate Pa. The position was strategic, but the defences had to be built from scratch. Our women were with us, working as hard as the men, carrying back loads of material for the defences and food for the warriors. We sent them away to safety before the fighting began. There were a number of sites chosen before the gate power, uh, and Māori challenged them to come and fight, but didn't eventuate. Some of those other powers are Wauku, uh, Tawhiti Nui, which is up by Tawhiti Nui Marae, Poterifi, which is uh, across the road from Wairua Marae. The one they did fight it was uh, Pukehinehina, which is on the road to uh, the Waikato, what's now known as Cameron Road, after the general. It's uh, on a bit of a hill, and so it's uh, made it sort of difficult to uh, uh, attack, you know, being a bit uphill. The best way of describing the, the area is to think of the capital A, where the, where the arrow part is the land, where it oh. comes into a V, yes. and the pa is a line across the small line that joins both sides of the thing, which, uh, you know, blocked the... You had to go through the party to progress to the wake-up. Well, the, the areas on the Tipapa Peninsula, uh, the land in front of uh, where the battle was fought was uh, um, purchased by the missionary Archdeacon Brown of um, Timati Rawaho, the one of the local hapus. That's descendants of Tirangi Hohiria Kaukino and Hiniwa. Um, the land also where the Tipapa Peninsula was is part of the land that was placed under the mana of the king. This was uh, when the Māoris could see um, more and more uh, settlers and the numbers increasing and they wanted to know how to accommodate um, all these uh, settlers from overseas. There was a thought that in some districts 
where a lot of the settlers were, they would be set them up under the Queen Victoria laws, and in the Māori areas uh, would come under the rules of the king. And uh, Tauranga was one of those areas, and uh, the land is from the Waimapu North was placed under the mind of the king. This became uh, made Tauranga a target for the crown. Tauranga, the evening of April the 28th, 1864. In the vicarage, a dozen officers of Her Majesty Queen Victoria's Imperial Forces kneel in prayer. The Archdeacon of Tauranga asks for courage and guidance for the British troops in battle, a battle which is only hours away. Strategy behind the battle was the British were going to destroy the Maldives by artillery and they had one of the heaviest artillery bombardments ever in the history of the... Per square yard, it's one of the, probably the heaviest bombardment in the history of the world. They had the biggest guns ever used up to that time, 110 pounders. And their strategy was to destroy the Maldives with the artillery and then to storm the power and uh, see if there are any survivors. On the afternoon of the 28th of April, Cameron began moving his troops into position. The gate power defenders numbered no more than 250 warriors. General Cameron now had at his disposal a total force of 2,000. Suddenly, as our eyes ranged over the country towards Te Papa, we saw unusual activity in the soldiers' camp. The warriors of the Queen, soldiers and sailors, were marshalled in array of battle, and then they advanced towards us. It was an army that marched against our fort, a great body of infantry and a number of cannon. The Modi strategy was to negate the artillery, make it useless, and they did this by uh, building underground bunkers. The, the bigger the artillery, the deeper you have to dig. Sometimes, like in sports, it's uh, difficult to take people on their strength, but when you do, they, com they are completely shocked. Under cover of darkness, the 68th took up positions at the rear. The British were now on the Pa's left flank, in front and in the rear. Sporadic shelling had accompanied the sham attack, but at daybreak on the 29th, the bombardment began in earnest. awful fire was concentrated on our redoubt. Our fences and frail parapets soon crumbled away. Splinters and earth were continually flying through the air. We were smothered with dirt thrown up by the exploding shells. And this, the rain which had set in, soon turned into mud. At last, Booth waved his sword and gave the word, 
and we got up and went at the place in great style. We were met by very sharp fire, both in our front and on our right, and the bullets whistled about our heads. The breach was very easy to get through, but when we got inside, we were brought up by the rifle pits. Inside, the fire was tremendously hot, and the men were falling fast. The worst was that we could not see the Maoris, as they were in pits covered over with flax and teachers, through the rules of which they put their rifles and fired at us at about a distance of three yards. Mian fell thick and fast. Tomahawk clashed on cutlass and bayonet. Tupara, our double-barrel fouling pieces met rifle and pistol. Skulls were cloven. Maoris were bayoneted. Naitarangi parted. Our hatchet bit deep into white heads and shoulders. The place was soon full of dying and dead men. Pākehā and Altogether, about 20 Māori died, and only about 10 died in the battle. Yeah, the strategy was first to um, negate the artillery, which they did. The second strategy was to allow them to storm the pa, which is what the British thought, wanted to do. They were fighting, you know, had all a strategy of how they were going to break in and, and do all this, but the Māori actually wanted them to get them in, get in. And it's... Um, when they got in, the first um, thing they saw when they got in, it looked pretty deserted. And they actually, one person actually returned to the general to say the power had been taken. They expected everyone to be killed with, their, with the artillery because they had been doing it for uh, eight, nine hours. Um, but unknown to them, the Māoris also had trenches there, which were covered over. And when the order was given, the Māoris opened fire. The British couldn't see them because they were, you know, undercover and uh, in their pits. And all they could see was the muzzles sticking out and it was a bit of a massacre and they they panicked and ran. Basically that's how the um, the battle was won. They were, they were so confused. All the officers were killed. They were in complete shock because they'd been witnessing this bombardment all day. And you couldn't believe that anyone would survive. So uh, Rawiri Puiraki is one, uh, the key leader in the fighting. Pene Tucker was a designer. A, a lot of the uh, the hapu of uh, Ngati Tapu and Tamati Rawaho. The uh, British had about 1,700. I'm not sure how many of the Maldives have. The, okay. the common figure of 200 and something is bandied around, but uh, often I think there was a lot less. In his dispatch to Governor Gray, General Cameron describes the battle in detail, but spends only one brief paragraph analysing its failure. This repulse I am at a loss to explain, otherwise than by attributing it to the confusion created among the men by the intricate nature of the interior defences and the sudden fall of so many of their officers. The Pakeha losses were severe. In all, 111 of all ranks were killed or wounded. The Māori losses were no more than 40. The vicarage overflowed with dead and dying. Hospital facilities were hopelessly inadequate. The British learnt a lot about that. What do you think they learnt, Patrick? Oh, they certainly learnt a lot about um, trench warfare and uh, 
combating uh, artillery and and even uh, trenches. You'd no longer have trenches and straight lines because a lot of times the, the battle was used for an excuse to confiscate the land. But um, the battle had little to do with confiscation. The, the target of the Crown was the, the Kingitanga. We've got to sort of give a perspective on uh, how things were in that time and how would that affect us today, because none of us were there. There are a lot of Māori still living in Tauranga descended from those that fought. Post the confiscation, uh, when Grey's native policies got in, there was a big move to do away with Māori names. For the next century, a lot of the Māori kids were renamed when they went to school. They were given Pākehā names by the school teacher. And we have an um, example here with uh, our CEO. His name is Penetaka after the man that designed the uh, gay part defences. And when he went to school, the uh, school teacher said, from now on you'll be called Brian. And it was a way of uh, um, colonisation of Māoris, do away with their Māori names, do away with their language. And um, that was all part of the plan with the um, Kate Pa. Tēnei te mihi kia koe Patrick Nicholas no Ngāti Ranginui Pirirāko. In that interview we heard segments from the Spectrum radio programme All the Queen's Men, produced by Jack Perkins in 1974. A big thank you to Jack who allowed Te Ahikā to rebroadcast parts of that programme.